Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. church family welcome to the house of the lord again visitors it's great to see you hope to shake hands and hug when the service is over glad that you're here today uh, for those of you joining online we're glad that you can do that today we continue our series today moving now into james chapter four if you have a bible we'd love for you to turn to james chapter four and this is quite the passage, especially the, verse, the first five verses. I will admit the first five verses are very much out of my comfort zone. And so uh, just pleading with the Lord all week how to communicate and step into this text. And so I uh, hope you're excited. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week with this study of peace. James chapter 3 ended by pointing us to peace multiple times. And it is understanding God's character when it comes to peace that gives us an understanding of what is going on in James chapter 4 whenever we read it here in just a moment. So follow with me. How important is it to God that his children live at peace with him and with one another? How important is it to God that we live um, with each other as the expressions of his peace in the way that we relate to one another? So stay with me here. When you think about peace, God the Father is the God of peace. The God that we call Father refers to himself in the Bible as the God of peace. The God whom we refer to as Son and Savior identifies himself in the Bible as the Prince of Peace. As his children, we carry with us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit identifies himself in Galatians 5 as the producer of peace. Now you think for a moment, if you were there with the, uh, with the shepherds whenever the angels came and announced the birth of Jesus, and a whole heavenly host of angels began to sing Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. The night before Jesus would go to the cross, dying for our peace, he looks at his disciples in that upper room and he says, Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, but not as the world gives. Do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let's think about what Jesus said for a moment. The peace that he gives his children is unlike anything that we could ever acquire in this world. We could have it all, but have no peace. And, this is, and so he says, this peace can't be earned, it can't be worked for, you can't be good enough to get it. It only comes through a relationship with him. And so he is, he's acknowledging here that in the world, we're going to have trials. We're going to have struggles in this life that try to rob us of this peace. And he says, look, when that comes, let, don't let your heart be troubled. We have a choice on what we do with this peace. We can choose to be troubled and get worked up and get afraid and retaliate and react. 
We can even choose to live in fear and be controlled by the struggles. Or he says, look, you can stay tapped into my peace regardless of what comes. So now let's think about something that we all observed happened just a couple of years ago. It just seemed like every other week you would turn on the news and businesses and buildings were burning down, right? Every time a shooting or something happened, a little bit of chaos turned into a lot more chaos and people were just burning buildings down and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And most of you probably remember um, seeing something like this where there's a reporter at one of those scenes in Wisconsin and they're, and, they're, and they're talking to him. They say, oh, so, so how's it going down there? And he says, well, it's kind of fiery, but it's mostly just peaceful protesting down here. And just cars and buildings and everything are just burning up. And so I just, I, I wanted to point that out to us to remind us of what James said last week in James 3. There's a wisdom that doesn't descend from above. And it's chaotic. It's confusing it's motivated by self-love, it's self-seeking and hate, full of hatred and bitter and envy. And what the enemy con constantly tries to do in this world is counterfeit the things of God. So God identifies himself with love and joy and peace. God wants us, his children, to be identified in the way that we live by his love and joy and peace. And so the enemy loves to take scenes situations that have nothing to do with God's peace and just say, you know, it's, that's peace. Just some peaceful protesting going on down here. And so as we, as we bridged into James, or the end of James last week, let's be reminded again of how uh, Ben's sermon ended when he wrapped up James chapter 3 last week. That the wisdom that is from above... The wisdom that we're asking for when the trials of life come our way. The wisdom that we're saying, God, I've got, give me your wisdom so that I'm not consumed by this trial. James says this wisdom is always first pure. It's pure from the chaos. It's pure from the confusion. It's pure in motive. It's not selfish. It's not, it's not motivated by envy, deceit. It's not trying to get back at somebody. God's wisdom is pure from all that. And then James says, it's peaceable. It's gentle. It's not aggressive. It's not forceful. It's not out of control. It's willing to yield. And just like Ben said last week, it's not trying to get in the last word and the final say. Boy, it showed him. It's full of mercy, which is what James 2 has talked about so much. And good fruits. Without partiality and without hypocrisy, James has talked about that a lot so far. So we, we, if we stop right there in verse 17, James says one of the greatest ways that we can see this peace at work in our lives, or if you're in a situation and you're observing someone else, is James wants us to know really clearly, not only is it not aggressive, but it doesn't start picking and choosing favorites. It doesn't start focusing on whether somebody is here or they're not from here or what their skin color is. It doesn't focus on their social status or their financial status. What can they do for me? James says that'd be hypocritical because God's not like that. When this peace is unleashed through God's people, it doesn't play any favorites. In verse 18, James says, now I want you to think of a garden. I want you to view yourself as a people that's going out and Digging and planting seeds of peace. You're sowing peace into the ground. You're sowing peace into the lives of people that you come in contact with. You're a peacemaker. 
He says, a person that lives with wisdom like that will reap the fruit of righteousness. You'll live, we will live together and experiencing what it looks like to be at peace with God and at peace with each other and in right standing with God. So now having kind of just set the stage with the context of James and the character of God and what he wants for his family, now let's move into chapter 4 because we shift from peace to war. So please stand with me in reverence and in honor for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible word. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. Let's pray. Father, we are deeply dependent upon your character and the guidance of your spirit, opening up our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see what you want us to see in this text so that we as the people of God could live in harmony and at peace with you and with one another and that it would be inviting and captivating to people that are just torn apart by the chaos of this world. Let them come to this body and see what your peace looks like and want it and come to Jesus. We ask that he would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So that was quite a shift in the book of James. We went from peace to war. And so now, granted, James James has become aware at some point that within the body of Christ, those whom are receiving this epistle that's ultimately inspired by the Holy Spirit, there's some conflict There's people fighting and just going at it and and aren't getting along, and he addresses this. The Holy Spirit has him address this. Just, man, it's just very direct and just in your face and like, here we go. Let's talk about it. Let's, Let's deal with it. So this is good. This is good for us as a church body. Man, it's so much fun for me just to study through this and think, wow, we're not experiencing this in our body right now. What a joy. What, what, I mean, man, to a visitor, I would say, welcome to the church that doesn't fight over the color of the carpet. You know, that whole thing. We, don't, we, just, we just want to fight for Jesus and live for Jesus and devote ourselves to, the, to his things. But this text helps us to be aware of what happens when conflict does arise in the body. It helps us to be aware of what happens when it arises in our marriage, if you've had a conflicting time this week in your home with your spouse or with your children or with your parents, and how to be aware of it when it happens in our community or at school or at work or on our team. And so let's soak in what is it that God wants us to see. So let's think of verse 1 for a second as him saying, why'd you lose your peace? Everybody is going at it. And so notice again, the fighting and the warring is amongst God's people. It's amongst, it's, it's within the body. It's between saved people. And he says, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? So he's saying there's a war that's going on inside of you that's coming out of you, and now it's being shared, shared amongst you. 
And so he's just saying, why'd you lose your peace? Oh, I didn't lose my peace. I lost my temper. I lost my cool. And James is saying, no, first you lost your peace. And then it came out and you acted on it. So this is, this is good for us. This is good for us to see. And so how does God feel when his children are fighting? Any parents or grandparents out there? How do you feel when your kids are just throwing down with each other? Do you, just, you let them duke it out or do you, do you address the heart? So this text is meant to help us to address the heart. And James is saying one of the struggles that we all need to be aware of is this desire for pleasure within us. Pleasure is a great thing. God gave us pleasure. But the pleasure he's talking about within us is the pleasure that we, had, we inherited from Adam and Eve. It's the pleasure that says, I want my way. I ain't going to be happy until I get my way. And nobody else in this house is going to be happy until I get my way. You know what I'm talking about? And it's, it's just, just the idea, you know, for those of you that have a newborn right now, at 3 a.m., they don't care. 4 a.m., you're, you're peacefully sleeping. They don't care. I need milk. I need it now. And I'm going to disrupt your universe until you give me what I need. But the, the challenge for us as we grow up and trust Christ is to not stay there, right? And so James is saying within all of us, we want to be real. There's a struggle, a trial. There's a struggle within all of us that just wants our own way. And the flesh just feeds that desire. And this struggle wants to get to a place to where it says, I will get my way regardless of how it impacts people. I don't care what example I'm setting for other people, I want my way. I don't care how it disrupts somebody else's life, I want my way. I don't care how they think of me after this is all said and done, I want my way. That's within us. It's within us. And so it's, it's easy to blame, but he starts with a question to help us to take the blame off of other people and to just say, will you first think about this yourself? And so verses 1 through 5 is James's way of getting, or the Holy Spirit's way of, get, of just saying, let's identify the source of the conflict. God is the God of peace. He's given us the Holy Spirit to produce peace. So when peace is missing and when conflict and war is happening, let's get to the root of it. Let's deal with the heart of it. Let's dig it up. Let's kill it. And let's get back on the peace train. So when you look at verse 2, he says, You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. He's challenging us to step back and say, is the war that I feel within me at times, or is the conflict that I'm having with someone else, is it ultimately because I'm not getting my way? Is it ultimately because I want what someone else has, and now it's becoming hatred within me? That's strong, right? It's like, who wants to do church that way? <laughs> None of us do. And he says, but the result, if that's not dealt with, it, dealt with, is to fight and war. And James tells us at the end of chapter 2 that some people know this is going on, but they don't ever ask God for wisdom. They don't ever ask for help. They don't ever access the wisdom because they won't ask for it. And so there's this pride that's in there that says, I don't need help. I got this all on my own. I don't need anybody. I don't need to be a part of any groups. I don't need to be doing accountability with anybody. I don't need to talk with nobody about it. I got this. James is saying, if that's within you, you're not going to have if you don't ever 
ask. And so talk to God about it, but talk to a brother in Christ about it. So now let's go on to verse 3. So he goes on in verse 3 and says, You ask and do not receive. So now there's people who ask but still don't receive. And he says, here's why. Because they're asking amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now he just comes out. He just says it as it is. This is what I was saying. It's just so out of my character. He just says, adulterers and adulteresses. If we pause right here in verse 3, James is telling us, God is not a genie in the bottle. God is not a genie in the bottle so that every time life doesn't go your way and it's one hardship after another, that we just pick him up and we rub that bottle and we say, God, why aren't you giving it to me? And then we're not getting it. And then we go home and take it out on who? Spouse, mom, dad, children. We, go to, we could go to school or go to work and we're ill. I'm not, things aren't going the way I want them to. And then take it out on other people. James is saying this is what it looks like to be unfaithful to God. When he uses the terminology adulterers and adulteresses, we're finding, he's saying it's possible to, become, to find so much pleasure in what I want and what I don't have and the things that I do have aren't satisfying, so I need more, that now it's like idolatry. It's like worshiping another God, a false God. He's saying this is what it looks like to be spiritually unfaithful. So now he continues to ask questions to help us to get to the root of it whenever this text applies to our lives. And he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So now it's here that I just I step back and I remind myself we're called to be in the world but not of the world. God, just like the nation of Israel, God wants his children to be a fragrance of his peace and of his love to a people in the world that are caught up in chaos and confusion. He wants them to come in and see something different, to ultimately see him. He says, so now if we live like the world, we'll never reach the other people in the world. So we want to deal with conflict. We don't want to cover it up. We don't want to avoid it. We don't, we don't want to say, well, that's just how he is, and that's just how she is, and let's just, you know, just, you feel that? Man, he just wants to deal with it head on. This is, this is God's heart. And so he asks these questions to now bridge into verse number five. He says, do you think that the scripture says in vain. Do you think that scripture is really meaningless or pointless when it paints this picture that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Man, if you, if you need to feel a deeper understanding of God's love for you today, just, just, just think of this. Typically, if a spouse is unfaithful, we know what comes next. If there's not some kind of reconciliation, if there's not some kind of intentional pursuit on both parties for peace and love and reconciliation, it's divorce. God says to us, even if we are spiritually unfaithful, I'm jealous for you. I'm not going to stop fighting for you. And James is saying this is the character of God throughout the whole Old Testament. If you could sum up Israel's relationship with God in the whole Old Testament, it was, man, we're doing good. We're winning wars. And all of a sudden, oh, we're serving idols. We met somebody. Okay, we repented and we're back good with God. And man, look at the victory. Look at manna coming down. Oh, I met somebody again. 
And one of the passages is so neat that, that taps into this and, and seems to be what James had, had on his mind or the Holy Spirit did is when Moses was on Mount Sinai and the people down below were making the golden cow, you know, and while God is talking with Moses and he's saying, you're going to move into these new lands, but when you move into new lands, you're going to meet new people. And whenever you begin to meet these new people, you can't conform to their ways. And so in Exodus 34, God tells Moses, you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest or otherwise you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods. It is good for us to step back and say, wow, God is jealous for me. He wants me all to himself, and he doesn't want to share me with anyone else. That is meant to be captivating to the heart of the church. That is meant to grab us and be like, whoa, he's not trying to intimidate me. He's trying to fight for me because he loves you and he loves us and he wants the relationship because he knows best. So James 4, 6 goes on to then say, so he gives more grace. He gives more grace. And therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I just want to pause right here, and I want to think for another second, why, would that, why, why was God so direct? Just, you know, just, is, that, is that in your face with those five verses? We think about how much those five verses line up with the character of Satan. The word war was referred to three times, fighting and enmity. So it, the idea of fighting and conflict and war is five or six times in those five verses. Who wages war in heaven? Who, who has made war? Who, who's the battle going to be with at the end of time? Who is constantly causing war with the children of God? Do you feel this? If the people of God are at war with each other, we're living and looking like Satan. We're living and looking like children of Satan. Man, that's, I just, when, when God showed me that, I kind of stepped back and said, whoa, okay. All right, I see. I, now I see. And then, and then if, we, if we continue that, Satan is an accuser of the brethren. What do most fights start over. What do they look like? Well, you, well, I, well, you, is it not kind of the whole finger pointing? Like, well, if you hadn't have done this, you ever heard somebody apologize and in the same breath? But if you hadn't, and then there's the apology, but then there's the blame. Yeah, that's not real confession, is it? And so this is what Satan does. He is full of pride. And it was for pride and waging war against God and trying to be worshipped as God and above God is why he and one-third of the angels were booted out of heaven. So God says, and James reminds us, if you and I choose to have pride in our life, God goes to war against us. That's the word for resist here. God literally has to take a stand against his own children because they're acting like Satan. Whew, that's a deep thought that we could become like that, but he wants to give grace to the humble. So let's write this down. It was on the schedule that another struggle or a trial that's within you and within me every day that we wake up 
is pride. Whenever Satan tempted Eve in the garden through the serpent, she saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes. It was pleasurable. And she said this, the tree is desirable to make one wise. That was her pride. This will, there's something about this tree that will give me more than what God is able to. So I want it. And so pride is what fuels the pleasure. Pride is, pride is this thing with this, this voice within us that says, you're right. Nobody shouldn't question you about it. Nobody shouldn't talk to you about it because you're right. You've got this. You deserve this. And it's them who's wrong. Pride is that thing that tells us to never take ownership of anything we've done wrong. Pride is that thing that tells us you got to get your way or die trying. Soak that in. So the good news is the next several verses says, here's the solution to the conflict. If this is happening within your home, if this is happening within the community, the team, or the church, James says, I got good news. We don't have to stay there. We don't have to continue to live without the God-given peace that he wants us to have. So when we move into, we read verse 6, when we move into verse 7, he says, submit to God. Therefore, submit to God and resist the devil, and he, the devil, will flee from you. Now, the word here for devil is actually the same word that James used in chapter 3 and chapter 2 for demon. <clears throat> so let's, let's put this together. James, is, the wisdom of God is saying, if you really want to deal with the heart... If, you really, if we really want to make peace between God's people and honor him in our home and in the, in, the, in the church, let's act on it. Let's make a decision to say, God, I want it your way. I will no longer fight for my pleasure. I can't get enough of what I want and ever be satisfied. I see the lie. I want it your way and nothing else. But with that, James says... The temptation doesn't just necessarily leave. There's going to be a time where we are tempted again to fight. We're tempted again to quarrel. We're tempted again to blame. We're tempted again to point out someone's wrongs. He says, but you're going to, you're going to have the strength to resist that temptation. So James is pointing us here that there's another person, an invisible realm that we've talked about in chapter 2 and 3 that is always at work stirring up the drama in our community in the church, in the home, and we can't always see them and we can't always know when they're there, but I want you to think of it like a, like a double-sided coin. Most of us at, at some point in time, we've all, we've all flipped the coin, we say, call it in the air, and your buddy called heads, and it's like, oh, heads, you win. I want you to think of it like this. If this dark, hateful, evil, spiritual being is standing up here with me, and I said, we're going to flip a coin. It's a two-sided coin. I want you to call it in the air, but here's, here's how we play. Heads, I win. Tails, you lose. Did you catch it? Heads, I win. Tails, you lose. So he says, heads, heads it is. I win. All right, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Tails, he called tails. Tails, it is. Tails, you lose. 
This is the idea of verse 7. There is no win for the enemy in verse 7 when we apply verse 7. If we respond to any conflict in our lives and we just simply say, Lord, I'm submitting to your authority. I will not fight for my way. I will not fight for my pleasure. I know I will not fight to get the last word. I will not retaliate and find a way to get back. I just want to honor you and your name in this. And when the temptation comes, Lord, I'm going to resist. I'm going to stand firm with the spirit that you give me, and I'm going to stay tapped into the strength that comes with him, and I'm going to see through the lie, and I'm not giving in. God says, it's just like flipping that coin. Heads you win, tails he loses. Every time, there's no victory here for the other side. This is meant to just boost our confidence. You may lose a friend, you may lose a family member, but we will stand in right standing with God and we will stay tapped in to his peace. And God says, just like, the, just like Satan tempted Jesus in Luke chapter 4, when the temptation was over, he had to leave. All Jesus did was responded with scripture. My daddy said, oh, but my daddy said, no, oh, but my dad. And then when the temptation had ended, he had to leave. That is the power that we have access to as the church, as the children of God. And now James chapter 4, keeps, he, he says, let's keep going. Now, all the words that are underlined here are active words. They're active words that say, this is still what God's asking us to do. Draw near to God. Don't just stay there. Draw near to God. Oh, we, want to, we want to get close to him because he wants to draw near and get close to us. This is meant to be, this is God saying, I want to bring you in under my wing where the peace is, where the love is, and where the joy is. I don't want a, a church that just stays where they are. Whew. Glad we took care of that. James is saying, take intentional Act, act and be active. Be intentional and be active for your spiritual walk and get plugged in and get close with God because he really wants to get close with you. And then this latter part is really just capturing the heart of repentance. The more we see how much God hates division and conflict, the more real verses 9 and 10 come for us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let me stop right there. This is what James has been addressing the whole book, is what it looks like for us to encounter a trial in life, but to have a double-minded way of thinking about it, to ignore the conflict, to not act on it, to just kind of avoid it and push it aside. God's saying, no, no, no. Let's deal with the double-mindedness. Lament and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and let your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. James asked us to step back and say, we can't even begin to fathom what God will do in the most broken of relationships to exalt his name and to show the world that we're a church who fights for peace, peace with God and peace with each other. And so now this final little section, verses 11 and 12, is James's way or wisdom's way of saying, Here's the sincerity of our confession. Here's what it looks like when you go back to the community. 
and you run into that person. Here's what it looks like when you come back in contact with that person at church, at work, or on your team. It's just fascinating how he brings it back to how we speak to that person again. He says, don't speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? His, uh, the idea of this text here is simply saying, if we take it upon ourselves to let everyone to condemn someone's name and character, we're trying to step into the place of God. And whereas God's saying, I'll take care of that person. I see how crazy and out of control and chaotic and conflicting. I see what they're doing. I'll take care of it. Now, this is a little different than how the Apostle Paul in some of his epistles intentionally called some people out by name. He was helping the church to be aware of people that were divisive and wolves. Whereas James here is saying, you don't, we don't ever need to go out of our way to tear down someone else's character. God can take care of it. So here's what I want us to do as we close today. I want you to see a person that's not sitting beside you, but see a person that's sad, that's depressed, that's broken. See a person, see that young man that all he's ever known from childhood up is chaos and confusion. In his home, it was just a fight all the time. See that girl, young or old, all she's ever experienced is drama. All she's ever experienced is just people tearing her down and pointing out every little thing that's wrong with her life. They've never experienced peace. And then they come into the house of God where God's people, God's children who are making peace are assembled together. Can you, just, can you just step back and say the last thing that those individuals need to say is, wow, this is just like home. You feel that? Wow, this is just like the church I grew up in or the home that I grew up in. This is just like what I've been going through at school. But we flip that. And we see that person coming in and for the first time they see harmony. For the first time they see people that are complimenting each other people that aren't falling victim to comparing ourselves to each other and trying to outdo each other and my kid's better than your kid and your kid's better than mine they come into a church that's flourishing because of the peace of God and they say I don't understand what all this is about but I want it and we get to point them to the prince of peace and then we get to begin to disciple them into how to be led by the spirit of peace. And broken, chaotic, confused lives now have purpose and meaning. That's worth everything. Let's pray. Father, it is here that we bow our heads and we thank you that Jesus went to the cross so that we could be a people who have peace with you but can live a life at peace with one another. Lord, I pray that the differences amongst this body would never rob us of the peace that you've called us to. Lord, I pray that the ups and 
downs and the failures that we have day to day and week to week would never rob us of the greater thing that you have called us to as the body of Christ. So give us the mindset, give us the understanding, give us the wisdom and pour it out like manna from heaven so that we could be a church who continuously knows how to fight for peace in our marriages, who see it as a godly, wonderful thing to say, I'm sorry, who sees it as a great thing to say, let's sit down and talk about it. And Lord, let us see this church body as a place where people can step out of chaos and step into a family that will love them and long to see them access your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.